Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. After a long hiatus for the Super Bowl and for the end of the Minnesota Vikings season, Judd Zolgad and I, Matthew Collar, are back here with Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure. Judd, we've been away, which must mean that your notebook is chocked full of great things to talk about on this hockey podcast. Is it not? Uh, yes, it's chock full of things to talk about. Not all great for the wild, but uh, all intriguing. Let's put it that way. Okay. All right. Well, let's start with this then. I mean, this doesn't have to be in your notebook. This is the news out today that Jonas Brodeen has a broken hand and he is going to be out quite a while. And uh, Judd, without Marco Scandella here anymore, moving someone up into that significant of a top four role is pretty darn difficult now. Yeah, because, uh, you know, Dumba and Brodeen, since they since um, Spurgeon came back, and then Spurgeon was uh, broken up from Suter for a while, and now they're back together. And since that time, after that, they put Brodeen and Dumba uh, together, and I think that they stabilized quite a bit. Dumba has 10 goals. He scored his 10th goal last night, and he is the type of guy who's, go- who's going to make uh, dumb mistakes at times, no pun intended, but he's also going to score goals. And the nice thing about Brodeen is Brodeen is not a dynamic player, but he's a solid player. Mm-hmm. And he, he actually leads the wild with as a plus 19. And so now you're going to go from Brodeen, who I don't think you notice that much, but who, when he's playing well, is pretty stabilized, to what you just said, which is either which is Riley and Olofsson playing on a nightly basis. And basically, one of those two guys has been scratched on a regular basis uh, for the past, what, basically since they've both been up. And the issue here is it sounds like they're going to pair Olofsson with Dumba. And they're trying to make it sound like, oh, you know, it's just it's basically the same guy. And, and you know, this is a he's a junior Brodeen. I'm not so sure about that. This, I think there is some cause for concern. And Brodine, it sounds like, is out three to four weeks. So this is not going to be a short-term thing. He had surgery today. Well, here would be my worry, Judd, is that it took uh, Brodine, who's a pretty good and intelligent player, quite some time to adapt to Matthew Dumba. And, and I think that it that's what it takes, that he is such a unique player and how aggressive he is, but also the mistakes that he makes. If, if you understand the types of mistakes that your defensive partner makes, you can help make up for those. And I, and I thought that Scandella and Dumba together when they when they had that time 
uh, that Scandella struggled with some mm-hmm. of Dumba's mistakes, and we saw it early with Brodeen, but he's an intelligent enough player that he's been able to adapt to that. But look how long it took for him to adapt to that. And now I feel like Dumba is playing the best hockey maybe of his entire career, and part of that is getting that help. And we also know that Suter struggles when he's just thrown with Matt Dumba for, for just a game or two, and I think that that's one of the major reasons why. So asking a young defenseman to just slide in like that, I, I think that that's a big ask. There's nothing else they could do about it, but I don't yep. think it's as simple as just saying, oh, yeah, well, this guy plays a similar game, so he can just slide up because Dumba is such a different player from your normal defenseman. And keep in mind, too, the Wild, um, basically since what, the game in, early in the season in Chicago where I think uh, – Nino was hurt, Coyle was hurt, and there, there was a third player hurt as well. You know, since that time, this team has had its full complement of players, its expected complement of players together for what a handful of games, possibly. Mm-hmm. And now you're and now you're down a defenseman again. So I don't give this, I don't cut this team a lot of slack because they caused lots of their own problems. But I will say this: uh, remaining healthy has been a, has been an issue here. And it does seem that every time we get the story about, hey, you know what, Nita Ryder's back, and now and now the Wild's back at full strength, and it's going to be fantastic, or Parisi's back, and now it's going to be fantastic. Somebody gets hurt, and it just seems to be one of those years where, where for the majority of the time, there's at least one, if not two, key players out. And this is a big deal. I mean, Olofsson, you can spin it in any way you want, and he might be a decent player eventually, but yeah... You're right. Asking him now to play with Dumba and Dumba style, which is to basically try and uh, create offense and rely on his defensive partner to take up that side of things. That's a big ask. So I do think that that this is going to cause some problems. And we all know, especially on the road, this team does not need more problems. The only good news here is the Wild's been outstanding at home and starting uh, against uh, Arizona, which is just a complete dumpster fire. On Thursday night, the Wild starts a five-game homestand at the X. I think the other positive might be that you get to get a better sense of what Gustav Olofsson really is. I mean, last year he bounced around a little bit, was up and down, and, and we saw him only in little spurts. And this year he's basically a third-pair guy, and like you said, mixing in with Mike Riley. So now it's going to be, hey, this is on you to play a pretty significant role here. And even if there is uh, some time that you're going to need to adapt to playing with Dumba, it's your opportunity to show that you're a real player. Because so far, and I know that defensemen take time, more time than forwards to show uh, that they can really play in the league outside of the elite guys. So even with that said, I mean, now this is really your opportunity for Olafson to prove whether you're going to be a part of this team a part of the top four a a part of the the depth or or where you really stand and if you're someone that can be trusted but it is not a good division and not a good time (laughs) to be missing someone i mean this is unbelievable yes the central that all of these teams have continued to plow forward like this and uh, to your point i think that this would be if this was sort of a developing club and you thought if it makes the playoffs that's a nice story but if it doesn't that's fine then, then your thoughts about Gustav, I think, are spot-on accurate, right? But here's the problem, and this this goes back to being the problem for this team on a continual basis, especially this year. What are they? I right. mean, to me, to me, they're a team, and and this this could be completely flawed. But to me, they're a team that is desperate to make the playoffs. 
they're a team that some people think is a contender, which I disagree with. But internally, it seems like this team has goals that I think might not be all that realistic. And so if you were right and you could say, okay, Gustav gets to play now and it's fantastic and he's going to struggle a little bit, but that's fine because that, that's going to, to help him for down the road, let's say, or the 2018-19 season. That's one thing, but you're now putting a kid right into the fire, essentially, on a nightly basis when you're going to be playing a ton of games now as well, and you're doing it with a team that I think has expectations that might be a little bit skewed in, in an inaccurate way as far as what they expect from themselves. Well, another thing it might tell you, though, is whether you need to make a trade for a third-pair defenseman or not, I mean, because if you can't trust... Like for Marcus Candela, you think? Uh, that would be one name Sorry. that you're not going to get because you already traded him out. away. Yeah, um, but for a yes, for a third pair slash flexible defenseman, I mean, as this team goes into the trade deadline, they are buyers again, at least from where they stand right now. Unless they fall off the edge of the earth, which I don't foresee, and Boudreaux just does not seem to ever let his teams go into that huge slide where they blow the season. Um, somehow he's kept this team afloat and gotten them really back and rolling and, and scoring again and competitive again, which I think is an amazing feat from what we saw at the beginning of the year from this team. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you're, you're going to know, I think better whether you want to go out and get that guy who could move up uh, in the lineup if you had to. And, and maybe even if that costs you too much, this team is in a position right now where the only option is, to go out and trade for another rental player because they've put themselves in a spot that's right in that playoff race, right in the wild card, where the only thing they can do is really try to go for it. Because we were talking about this earlier this season. I remember even running it by Lou Nanny. And I said, Lou, isn't this about the time where they should make a franchise-changing move? But isn't it so wild that we're coming up on that trade deadline and all of a sudden a couple of guys start scoring again, right? Like just when you were thinking, oh, they might be the one who gets traded to kind of shift uh, things in that locker room and shake things up and maybe change this franchise to go in a different direction and then, you know, they get hot. They have some games where they score a bunch of goals. Jason Zucker has been on fire. It's It just seems very typical of this team to get to the deadline and then a bunch of players start playing like they want to stay. Yeah, it, and I asked Lou about that on the show last week about uh, potentially trying to trade a wing especially because, you know, the, the expectation had been at the start of the year that uh, the Golden Knights were going to have all these wingers that could be traded. And now you look at the Golden Knights and they're, you know, one of the best teams in hockey. So they're not going to be making trades. And Lou's response was, I don't trade any of the guys like Zucker or Coyle. Uh, he did admit that there might be some intrigue if somebody came to you with a really good offer for Stahl. But once again, I mean, to me, Matthew, this entire conversation goes back to what the expectation is internally in St. Paul. And this is where the team drives you crazy. They see, they see themselves as the team that beat the Golden Knights uh, pretty convincingly last Friday at home, and they see themselves as the team that bounced back from the dog of a game in Dallas on Saturday by waxing St. Louis in St. Louis on Tuesday. And so the frustration is I look at this team and I say they're not going to make trades. And to me, to me this goes back to what I've been saying all year long since the season started. 
this to me feels like a franchise that is ultimately treading water constantly, right? Mm -hmm. And so they continue to do that, and they continue to do that, and they're not going to make trades, and they're going to continue to uh, continue to think of themselves as being in the race. But the problem is this. They're either barely going to make it and probably get bounced in the first round, or they're not going to make it, and they're going to be stuck with guys, you know. I mean, Stahl's, he's having a great year. But to me, I look at that year, and, and I say he's in his 30s now. What if you could take it to a contender uh, and a team that's possibly not on his no-trade list and get something for him, get something good and young? So I think you're probably right. I would not be surprised if uh, Fletcher went out now and looked at another defenseman. My problem there is, so you're telling me that you're going to give up more draft picks or young players' assets uh, for a veteran defenseman who's going to come in here and do what for you? Help you sneak in the playoffs, and that's about it. Right, so here's how I'm looking at this, that we have gone past the point, that we have cleared the point where you could say, okay, yeah, I mean, maybe they should try to trade stall. Like, yeah, sure, like maybe six weeks ago that would have been, for me, I would have said, yeah, they're just kind of floating around at the bottom of the division, and if someone is going to give you something great for Eric Stahl. But now the fact that they have been in the race now in that wild card spot and hung around there for a while, you just have to try to win it again with this group. I don't think I think now you can't just go, all right, well, you know, we're we're not at the very top, so we've gotta move on because there have been too many teams, even though they usually show signs of it, but there have been too many teams that come from toward the bottom going into the playoffs and do make runs. The difference would be usually it shows up in the numbers where yes. like Nashville, for example, yep. I predicted Nashville to go to the Stanley Cup final last year because yep. of their underlying numbers. And the same thing happened when the Kings did it from the eight spot when they went all the way to the cup final. They were the most dominant possession team and had uh, really good even strength numbers. And that usually wins you in the playoffs. This team's analytics look very much like they did last year. They're getting outshot in total. They are doing a pretty good job of defending the net, which is on Ryan Suter. He does a great job at that. So they get a lot of high-danger chances. They're playing transition hockey. But the other night, I couldn't help think, Judd, against St. Louis. Oh, hey, look, St. Louis is playing a back-and-forth game with you. That won't happen in the playoffs if you play them. They're Absolutely. Not, they, are yes. not play, they are not playing that game. So I still struggle to think that this team is good enough to go deep but I think we've just gone past the point where you could say, okay, let's think about the future. Okay, here's my problem, though, Collar, and you, you t- tell me if you agree. As a veteran hockey watcher, okay, so so it's fine if you if you want to take the stats as well, but as a guy who's watched a ton of games and, and a ton of teams, and they're always there's always a team or two every year who – underachieves throughout the season and is let's say a seven or eight seed right yep and you and you say to yourself and the predators last year the poster child for this the kings a few years back you say to yourself that's an underachieving collection but when the playoffs get here if they make it they are built for that right and you and you tell me do you for one second in your mind think of the wild in that way because i absolutely do not no no i don't and and i mean I remember talking with uh, Royce on the air last year in the first round of the playoffs, and he asked me, like, wh- why did some of you analytics nerds love Nashville? And one of the reasons was because, <laughs> well, they were so much – they missed P.K. Subban for a while. And that was one of the parts of it was, I mean, if you miss your superstar player 
for a, a chunk of games and you play poorly, well, you've got them back now. But the other thing was that Nashville was fifth in the, the shot percentage, and they were yep. also toward the top of the league in the top ten um, in goals for percentage at even strength. So when you have that, those two things, where you're not only outscoring your opponents, but you're out shooting them as well, I mean, that usually says, hey, watch out for this team, especially when they were so much better with P.K. Subban. The, mm-hmm. the Wild don't have any of the earmarks this year of a team that's going to do that. The only thing you could maybe try to look at is when they're healthy, but A, you can't guarantee that going into the playoffs, and B, it's kind of a small sample size of them being healthy. But right now, Judd, the Wild have the second-worst shot attempt differential in the NHL. The other teams at the bottom, the New York Rangers, who are having a very poor year this year, the Ottawa Senators, the Buffalo Sabres, the Vancouver Canucks. These are the teams that are around that same range with the Wild in terms of shot differential, and they're 50-50 goals for percentage. They rank 17th. So none of those things say to me, hey, maybe they're sneaky good. And and so I'm with you that it, it all screams, hey, you're going to get bounced in the first or second round at best, right? But my point is just... If you make Right. My point is just if you've gotten this far to the point where you are a legitimate playoff contender, you might as well try to stack up as long as Ryan Suter is still in his prime. Parisi has been playing okay since he's come back, and maybe he'll even get stronger. And maybe being out for that long will benefit him. Maybe, 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 which is always with this team, but that's the only way that I can really look at it because if you were to, if you were to blow it up now, then I think you get – uh, well, first of all, I don't see it as realistic because your general manager is in the final year of his contract, for one. Yes. But then you're also going to get a lot of fans who are like, wait a minute, you were in a playoff spot and you traded away Charlie Coyle and Eric Stahl? I mean, people would think that you were crazy, even if it is philosophically the way that you should go, especially with Stahl, who is a guy that's probably going to drop off after this. Yeah, and your, your problem, too, is if you trade Stahl, Center-wise, right now, you have nothing behind him. Right. You have. You, you wouldn't have be competitive anymore if you trade Miko, him. Yes, because Koivu. Now, now, if you decided, you know what, screw it, we're going to bail backwards, and you traded Stahl, you could do it. But once again, with Boudreaux as your coach, and as you just said, with a Fletcher as your GM in the last year of his contract, and with a guy that owns the team who went on the record before the season is saying Stanley Cup or bust, no one's going to do that. I just don't think anybody at this point necessarily has the long-term best of the franchise in mind. And Boudreaux, I I don't blame one bit. Bruce was hired and brought here to win, okay? Yep. So starting with him, he's doing his job. But as far as your executive staff and your ownership, I think those people probably should look at things and say, or they should have at some point in time, and say, where are we at exactly now? And it's still, they're almost operating on the philosophy of where things were a year ago. And that team should have advanced farther, and that team was good. This team, to me, though, has gone back to being the unpredictable, wild. They're good at home. They're bad on the road. But, I mean, when you go, when you play the game that they played on Friday against the Golden Knights and look fantastic, and then you come back on Saturday, and I get you're tired, okay? But a lot of teams play back-to-back. And, by the way, you've been off forever. You had your bye week, which is BS. You had the All Star. <laughs> you had the bleep and All Star break. You had more time off. So when you go Vegas on Friday and you play well, good for you. And then, and then, as I tweeted at the game on Friday, I said, "Okay, let's see this on Saturday. It might not be as dominant, but let's just see a semblance." 
and you give up, what, six goals in that game, and then you knew sure as the wild. I mean, this is the most wild thing of all time. They give up the first goal on Tuesday night, 45 seconds in in St. Louis, and then they come storming back. You know, that this team is so inconsistent, and its players are the same, and it drives you crazy. And as you said before, too, Zucker's a guy who, and this is not just him, but he's a guy who disappears for long periods of time, and you're like, who is he? I mean, should you look at trading him? And then the moment you think that, he scores six goals in six games. Yeah, and so yeah. it, there's just, there is so many things about this team that, for lack of a better term, is just maddening. Yeah. Well, your point about Boudreaux is very much right that as long as you have one of the best coaches in the NHL, you have to be going for it. You can't be thinking, okay, let's sell off some of our stars, even if. For 2022, that might actually be the best play right now if you don't really believe you can win the Stanley Cup. But when you went all in with Boudreaux as your coach, you have to continue to push forward or, you're, or, or you have to gas him. Like there's th- those only two options because the guy yeah. who came here, he came here yeah. to try to win a cup. And here's the other problem, too. If you were trying to sink down, which, again, they're too far along now. But if you were trying to sink down, this guy will coach you to win games. And, and that's not what you want. If you want to lose, you want a coach who's going to be pretty inept behind the bench there. And you want to sell off everything. And you don't want anybody out strategizing nothing. And you want to get to the bottom like Buffalo has done so brilliantly year after year. They've managed and, to do that every single year, don't they? It is amazing. They could, Although they change coaches and they keep getting worse. Uh, I saw today that... Buffalo Sabres home tickets are selling for $5, by the way. So they have six wins. And that might be too high, Matthew. Yep, it is. Six wins all year at home for that team. But just real quick, the one one other reason that they should just buy when we get to this trade deadline and try to do their darndest, even if it involves giving up more draft picks, which was going to drive people crazy, is that I don't – I believe that Nashville is an incredibly good team and would be my pick again to go to the Stanley Cup final. But nobody's perfect in the West. Like Vegas, I don't buy it as a playoff team. It's, nope. a, it's a cute story. I don't buy it. San Jose. Bounce quickly. Yep. San Jose is not good. Calgary has a lot of problems. Winnipeg is very young. You could see them sliding in the playoffs. St. Louis, I still think you could beat. Um, Dallas is Dallas is very good. There's good teams, but nobody. We thought that Edmonton would be here, and we'd be going. You're never going to beat McDavid, but Edmonton has been such a disaster that there really is no super team. True, but let but let me tell you why the Wild is destined to do what they always do, which is probably make the damn playoffs and then get bounced quickly. The one thing you can't beat in the playoffs is S F S O F T, soft as can be. And this team is. Were soft. you going to start spelling soft SF? I was so upset. I'm so I'm so upset at the Wild right now. That game S O F T. This team is soft, and they will not. And that's why they drive me nuts. It's why they drive us all crazy. They are soft as can be. Well, as you continue to rant and rave, let me just poke the bear a little more with two things. Um, so far, between Marcus Foligno and Tyler Ennis, we have 101 games. And 12 goals. So we'll just throw that out there that they may be looking on either one or both of those players to move on 
which would make the trade look even worse for Marco Scandella. I know we have beaten that down on our podcast, but it's been a little while since we've talked about it. It's incredible to me that they have both been healthy and in the lineup for yeah. the whole season, and they I have know. a grand total of 10 goals. They got Daniel Winnick off the street on a practice tryout, and he's doing better than both of those guys or just as good. So that's that's kind of crazy. In Ennis's defense, and I'll keep this very brief because I don't don't want to defend him too much, I think he did suffer another concussion or uh-huh. he got banged up. Um, I want to say a Tampa Bay or something. Anyway, uh, I have a Felino question for you. As so- someone who watched him uh, play in Buffalo, as you did for quite some time, um, it's starting to drive me crazy. Why about every 10th game does he look like he's an all-star? That's him. But, I mean, That's is that him. But is this a personality disorder problem that he's got going on for himself? Is this – he can't do it on a regular – I mean, when – I went to the game two Saturday nights ago against Winnipeg, or two or three, uh, at the X, and they are playing the Jets, and the Jets are a good team. And the young man, uh, Felino, had six shots on goal in the first period and looked like a world beater. I mean, he looked like a – he looked like Cam Neely. He was <laughs> yeah, outstanding. Yep. Who is that guy, and is this – what is it? Is it on him? Does he just not show up most of the time? Does he try hard and – just sometime, explain it to me. I will explain it to you. Um, by the way, you mentioned what he have six uh, six shots in a period. He only has fifty four in fifty games against so, Winnipeg, which is a which is a tough team to play against because they're big. Right. So he he's barely getting a shot on goal per game, and this it's the perfect way to demonstrate how often he must have gone ice cold in order to make up for having a six shot game. Well, I'll tell you a couple of things I know. Number one, Marcus Foligno was called up from the American Hockey League. I was covering him in the AHL, and he was called up to the NHL. And he played a 14-game stretch that made you think that he was going to be the next Milan Lucic. In fact, in fact, NHL expert guys on NHL Network and all that, when they were asked who's going to win Rookie of the Year next year, his name was at the very top of the list. They were so impressed by that stretch, and they weren't wrong. It wasn't just because he's got a very nicely shaped face and because his name is Felino. It's like he was really that good. And then the next year he scored like 15 points the whole season. Okay. And I saw him play one of the best games by any power forward I've ever seen against Toronto at the end of the year and when he was first called up and they were fighting for a playoff spot. He was throwing everybody around. He had the game-winning assist. He was just fantastic. And then the next year, with pressure on him, expectations on him, it was one of those games every once in a while, and it's been that way since. And I, I like to compare Marcus to his brother, Nick, who is a, he's just a nasty, nasty player. I mean, in a, in a good way. Like, he'll just play hard the whole time. He'll hack you on the hands. He'll check you. He'll just, like, the whole 60 minutes, he's a pest, and he scores, and he does all those things. And he's just a mean MFer, right? Okay. Marcus, yeah. Marcus is not. He is one of the nicest people that I've ever dealt with in my entire professional career. And I think what happens is he'll slide into this sort of funk and then every so often a coach will get in his face. You got to get going. You got to, you know, whatever. He'll get healthy scratched. And then he's like fired up. All right. I got to stay in the lineup. I got to keep my career. I got to prove myself. And he goes out and goes crazy and utilizes every bit of his talent. 
But it's hard to maintain that if that's not in you. And I think it's in his brother, but it isn't in him. Uh, the Winnipeg game just drove me crazy because you saw the potential there. Uh-huh. And, and, I mean, that's what that's why Fletcher traded for the kid. Uh, but you see it so rarely. It's not like it's every fourth game. It's like every maybe tenth game where he goes out and he looks fantastic and you think this is a power forward. This is a, this is a top six, and they're hard to find. This is a top six power forward. Uh, but then you see guys like Marcus Foligno and Charlie Coyle, you know, who both, when they play the wings, have the potential to be that guy. And you see how many times where they just sort of disappear or they don't do a thing, and it, it drives you nuts. Um, hey, one more quick uh, blue line point that I want to run by you, and this is something that I brought up also uh, back a ways when somebody else was hurt, but I want to run it by you again. Does it make sense to you that it looks like the defensive pairings with Brodeen out are going to be Spurgeon and Suter still, and they're going to put Dumba, as we talked about, with Olsen, and then they're going to put Prosser and Riley together? Uh, Once again, why are you putting two of your elite defensemen together when both of them, if you put them with different partners, would help stabilize this thing? I mean, to me, you're now going top defensive pair, which is great. It's very good, and both those players are good. But now you've got now you almost have certainly two potentially suspect defensive pairings instead of telling Suter, hey Ryan, you're going to play with somebody, and because we trust you so much, you're going to make them better as opposed to telling Nate Prosser, please dear God, don't screw up because if if you screw up, Mike Riley screws up, we're going to give up a goal. Well, let me see if I can call up an answer for you here in the form of analytics. All right, cool. So. Perfect. Uh, with Jared Spurgeon, Ryan Suter has his best numbers. And, I, I mean, they control the puck more with Jared Spurgeon. And he's been outscored when he's on the ice uh, all year, but some of that is goaltending. It's, it's always hard to determine. But when he's on the ice with Spurgeon, here's a stat that will stick out to you. In terms of the high-danger shots, okay, right in front of the goal, your great shots, you're in the slot, those things – he and Jared Spurgeon are getting 60% of those when he's out on the ice, which is a really, really good number. They're, they've gotten 138 to only the opponent's 92. Okay, so that's, yeah. I mean, that's a fantastic number. That's both guys just doing their job. Now, with Matt Dumba out on the ice when he's played with him, they get less than 50% of the high danger, which is probably because um, – they don't know their jobs as well as perfectly as those two that play together all the time. And also Dumba will turn the puck over if you pressure him and that is, so Suter might be starting up the ice and Dumba turns it over and gives up the, the high danger chances that you see that happen all the time. So if it's me, I probably keep them together even as risky as the second pair is because the first pair is doing so well and they're going to play almost half the game I probably would just try to hold on to my butt the rest of the time. All right. Well, it just seems to me when you have a $13 million guy, he should be able to go play with a guy who might not be as good as Spurgeon and elevate that player's game. You know, but everybody's, everybody's different. Like all the elite players, the elite defensemen, they're all different. I mean, with uh, Drew Doughty, he is the guy that carries the puck all the time. You go to a Kings game. I went to a Kings game once at Staples Center in L.A. It was awesome to watch drew dowdy he carried the puck oh, yes every single time like the, up the ice and his partner was some guy that i covered in the ahl that was just just a guy and he mm-hmm. basically stood there 
and just like, okay, if anything goes wrong, I'm over here. But that, it was Dowdy around everybody into the zone, creating all over the place. That's not that's not Suter. Like Suter is not going to drive the bus as much as Spurgeon is. Suter is going to play an incredibly smart game. He's going to make sure nobody is near the net. If he's got the puck behind the net, he's going to make the right play. All those things, and he's, he's got a really good outlet pass too. All those things have made him a great defenseman, but he isn't, I don't see him as the guy you can stick with anyone. I think he very specifically needs a certain type of player, and Dumba was supposed to be that type of player, but he, yep. but he really isn't. I mean, he's, he's like a forward out there where Spurgeon is that type of player. That's my explanation and probably my thought of what Bruce Boudreaux is thinking when he's keeping those two together. Well, we'll all we'll step prayer when um, Mike Riley and Nate Prosser take the ice together starting tomorrow tomorrow night against Arizona. We most certainly will, though I think that this home stretch, if you were going to ask for a stretch of games that could help you, I mean, the opponents just are not the strongest you've ever seen. Uh, two two teams that are last in their division, Arizona and the Rangers coming up. Um, Washington is tough, but they're not as tough as they used to be. Chicago's having a tough year. So uh, actually that's three teams that are last in their division because Chicago is as well. Uh, Judd, do you have any thoughts from around the National Hockey League? Anything in Judd's notebook before we wrap up Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure, which, by the way, we will be doing now on a weekly basis after uh, football season is done. You brought up a very interesting one, and that is the uh, Chicago Blackhawks. 56 points. I mean, they are they're not, not only last in the Central Division right now, they are uh, six points behind second-to-last place Colorado and, what, seven points behind the Wild. And Lou Nanny said, I, I asked Louie on Mackie and Judd at the start of the season, I said, what Western Conference team do you think uh, might fall off of it? And he said, watch out for Chicago. But if you think about it, I mean, it's been this has been a remarkable run, and, and the Blackhawks have had injury problems with uh, Corey Crawford out, and so, you know, it, when you take him away, he's such a good dominant uh, player at times. But nonetheless, Chicago's drop really marks a change in things because it's been a long, long time now mm-hmm. since the Blackhawks were anywhere near last place in the uh, in the in the division, let alone the Central. It probably predates that and goes back to uh, before they realigned the division. So the Chicago Blackhawks fall off to me is very intriguing. Um, Judd, can you name a defenseman on the Chicago Blackhawks that is not Duncan Keith or Brent Seabrook? Hold on. Hold on. I'm thinking. I'm thinking. I don't know that I can. And I'm. And here, here's a question for you as well. What has Duncan Keith had goal-scoring-wise? Because... I know before we uh, we delved into our football duties for about a month straight there, where we were just doing football all the time. Duncan Keith was at no goals at that time. Yeah, he was he was struggling. I, I mean, I think that Keith is still a good player, but he's also, um, you know, he dealt with a knee injury. He dealt with some illness. Like he's, I think he was even suspended at one point. Uh, maybe that was last year he was suspended. So anyway, yep, yep, yep. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was last year. Sorry, but. Um, I think Keith could still play, uh, but it's these other guys. Seabrook is like 100 years old and has got tons of miles on his body and has a very bad contract. They're in tough shape there, and they have four other guys that I honestly don't know much about. I mean, that really tells you where their fall-off has been, and the forward group is also filled out. Their third line are guys that most people have never heard of. Their second line is being centered by Nick Schmeltz, 
So, like, he's okay, but not a, a big-time player. And maybe they haven't gotten as much out of Brandon Saad as they hoped they would when they traded for him to come back. And, and they're goaltending. I mean, the, the fact that Corey Crawford went down with the <clears throat> concussion, which they're calling vertigo because that's what they do, um, Anton Forsberg and Jeff Glass are not exactly going to hold you up for, for the whole season. So I, th- I think Chicago's out. I mean, I, I just think that yep, they're, oh, they are. they're out of the conversation completely. But, you know, just looking forward here, as far as what the Wild are going to have to deal with, Another team has quickly emerged, Judd, as a team in much better shape than the Wild going forward, and that's the Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, and McKenna's out right now hurt, but, man, before he got hurt, he had ascended to a Hart Trophy candidate type of player. Mm-hmm. And the great, the smartest thing, in fact, they should have done it a year ago now, I guess, in retrospect, uh, trading Duchesne to the Senators was the smartest thing possible because that freed up a lot of guys who, who, for whatever reason, must have felt stifled by Duchesne's presence for that team to become very good. And that and that's going to be – Colorado's going to be a fun team. I'll say this. I'm rooting for Colorado to make the playoffs, Matthew, because I think that's a fun team. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm, I'm looking right now at the wild card standings and the teams that aren't in the playoff picture. And the one team in the Western Conference that I don't think is going to make it, and it's really, really sad because it would be good for hockey if they did, Connor McDavid and the Oilers. They are at 50 points. They're actually uh, third from last in the Western Conference right now. And I, I know McDavid had the huge game a couple nights ago. Uh, but this Oilers team, it this is a crime. Because if this Oilers team had any special teams in defense at, at all, it would be in the playoffs. And as a fan of the game, if they're not in the playoffs, and they, as I said, they probably won't be, we're going to be missing something really good. Because McDavid's special, but that team can be a lot of fun too. 30 games to go. There's always a chance. We've seen it before. Um, teams getting insanely hot and find a way to slip in. And just in how quick things can change category, the Pittsburgh Penguins, oh, man, they're struggling. They're finally out. Uh, nope. No, they're not. They're right back up into the race again, and I would expect them in the playoffs, and they're going to be dangerous and a buyer at the deadline. So a lot of times over an 82-game season, the talent wins out, and that Pacific division is such a mess I mean, for Vegas to get up there to the top, one of the reasons I think they're up there is because everybody else is so flawed in that division. So there is always a chance that the Oilers will jump back there. So I hope so. All right, Judd. Well, this will be fun. We'll get back on the horse here and start talking hockey all the time. And uh, we will also, for those football fans who listen, be doing Purple Podcasts on the regular as well. So if you give that a listen, then we appreciate it. And uh, we will catch you next time on Matt and Judd's Hockey Adventure.